You're listening to the Fantasy Wildcard Podcast. Yeah, we're going to move over to, to the other side of the NFC East and I'd say maybe the best side because we're going to talk about one of the best teams <laughs> in the NFC East and obviously talking about one of the best teams, we need two of the, the best guests to come on and join and so with that, I'll bring on Rich and Tom, the guys over at the Fantasy Sanctuary, obviously you know them better as Dynasty Island, NFL underscore T-Strack. Tom, Rich, thanks for coming on, great to, to have you here and, and yeah, we're, we're looking forward to this. How are you both doing this morning? Yeah, thanks for having us. You know, I mean, we're big fans of you guys and what you guys do at Wildcard and uh, can't think of a better cause to be supporting. So thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us on. You know, this is one of my fav- favourite days of the year, luckily enough. I think this is third third time on. So, yeah, really excited and looking forward to having a good chat about some terrible teams. <laughs> oh, Rich, that was going, that was going so well. You had to just throw that, that little grenade right at the end there to, uh, to to spice it up. But it's always good fun when we have you guys on on the show. And as I say, we're, we're going to be talking about the, the Cowboys and my New York Giants. So we'll save the Giants for the end because I'm sure I'll get some some pelters on, on that on that part. So we'll kick things off with the Cowboys. And Ali, we'll, we'll go over to you for the first question for the guys. Yeah, so naturally, we're going to start at the quarterback position. And a guy in Dak Prescott that... Really, it's not been spoken about much recently. Um, surprisingly, he will also be 30 years old when he comes when the season comes around in September. Um, his his value at the minute is quarterback 14 on keep trade cut. So, I just want to get your guys' opinion on what what is his ceiling now for Dak Prescott now entering his 30s with this offense, and are you still happy with him perhaps as as your quarterback one, or um, are you looking to to try and move up? And um, if you can have him as your quarterback two, that's that's ideal, or are you are you still happy with him as a quarterback one? I'll, I'll I mean, let Rich he's... go first. I know he's a big <laughs> Dak guy. I, I really like Dak the player. I think he takes a lot of a lot of shots unfairly. I think he's a you know an elite quarterback for fantasy purposes. I think he's the perfect guy that you're delighted if he's your QB two, and if he's your QB one, you feel like you're at a disadvantage. He's you know you look at stats last year it's almost consistently week in week out a back end qb1 doesn't have those truly elite weeks and doesn't feel like he's the kind of guy that's ever going to win you a week but equally isn't going to lose you a week so i think if, if you can get him as your qb2 very happy as a qb1 you're probably searching around for an upgrade or just accepting that you're not going to kind of win a title this year it's, it's a little bit up in the air i think the weapons obviously we've seen a lot of change over the last couple of years I'm intrigued to see how some, you know, the new additions this off season will settle in. But yeah, I, I think he's a he's a solid, safe, unsexy, boring, fantasy option. Sadly, I kind of agree with most of what Richard said there. I think you know, you look at how he played last year, and he was had the highest completion record of his career, like touching on like a nice sixty nine percent. But on the flip side of it. He had like 15 interceptions last year. He had the, I think, like the fourth highest interception rate among all quarterbacks with only, it's like James Winston, Nick Foles, and Kyle Allen were the only quarterbacks who had a higher interception rate. But it kind of ping pongs between that. So, like, Cowboys fans are irritated with that because of the interceptions. But you look at like efficiency metrics and he ranked like eighth in EPA per drop back. And, you know, like I mentioned, his completion record was really good. So, you can make an argument one way or another for Dak, depending on where your bias tends to lie. I think, like Ali said, I'm completely fine with him as my QB2 on any team. I think what Rich kind of said, he's not going to give you those kind of huge weeks which really dominate your opponents. But yeah, like at 30 years old, it feels like we know what Dak is. We know what this Cowboys offense is. And, you know, it just remains to be seen how much they pass the ball this year because it's definitely been some whispers that they're looking to pass the ball less and establish the run even harder. Yeah, I think that, like you mentioned, Tom, a lot of people obviously talk about what he's done as a, as a passer the last couple of years. But I think the one thing that a lot of people haven't really spoke about is since that obviously horrific injury that he had a, a few years ago, the rushing that we get from Dak Prescott has, has basically gone. It What we saw from him the first few years, he was getting around six touchdowns a year, getting around that 300, 350 rushing yards. Now the last two years since that injury, 
He's had just one rushing touchdown in both of those years, yet to hit just 200, 200 rushing yards. So I feel like that's something that a lot of people aren't talking about. That I do think that injury, I mean, it was horrific to see. And obviously, it's something that we, we don't want to see on the NFL field. But clearly, I think that's going to play a part in his mind moving forward and hence why we're not really seeing him used as as much as a rushing quarterback and we know for fantasy just how how valuable being a rushing quarterback can be and as I say for Dak Prescott that was a, a big part of his game and I think he's now lost that little edge that he had in, in the in the rushing game but um Kev Ali have you got anything extra to, to add on Dak Prescott Kev I know being a being an Eagles fan have, have you got any glowing things to say about Dak Prescott no I think the boys have <laughs> summed it up really well the fact that if he's a QB1, you're at a disadvantage. If he's a QB2, you're at an advantage. I think I was trying to work out a situation where I'd be happy with him as my QB1. And it just got me thinking maybe in a startup, if you're in, say, it might be a 12 or a 14 team league and you're right at the back of round one, there might be a scenario where you can double tap and get Prescott and CD Lamb as a stack. That would be probably the only time I'd be really happy with him taking him as a QB1 in a startup. I think other than that, you are, you are playing. You're at a disadvantage, and one position I don't want to be at a disadvantage at is, is QB. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just his his value's now below the obviously Anthony Richardson, but Bryce Young and CJ Stroud as well. So um, if you are maybe looking to be a contender this year and you're not so happy with one of those two guys, if you have managed to trade into an early pick, um, trading for Dak Prescott for, for one of those two straight up, you know you're still going to get a good few years out of Dak Prescott as a as a low quarterback one that probably seems to be the move if, if you can get him as your quarterback too yeah love it so a guy that's maybe not getting as much buzz as what he wants had but now we'll move on to kevin your question this is a guy that's he's getting a lot of buzz especially this off season with the the things that have happened during the off season or maybe a lack of things that have happened during the off season yeah we, we like tony pollard at the, at the fantasy world card i think it's, it's someone we've grown to over time we maybe was not on him as much before last season but I think last season was brilliant how he, how he showed out. He had some amazing metrics. Um, he also was running back nine on fancy points per game, which came off of 48% opportunity share. Um, he's coming off an injury, yes, but I think he's had a pretty perfect off-season. No strong competition added. Um, running back 10 at keep trade cut, potentially attainable. He's lost Zeke. Um, yeah, Rojo's come in. Deuce Vaughn's come in. If you were a Pollard owner and you've stuck with him through the off-season, which you should really be selling risky running backs pre-free agency draft and then buying them back after if you if you play it right, then you've got to be so happy with how it's gone. The fact that he's going to be the main man still in a great offence um, and we've seen what he did last season. So I just want to know if the expectations could be dampened in any way if the Cowboys signed someone, re-signed Zeke, Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, or the main one for me... If they um, trade or, or, or sign Dalvin Cook, would that dampen the expectations on Tony Pollard Express? Dal- Dalvin Cook's the only one that would worry me slightly because I think he's got far more left in the tank than Zeke or Lenny Fournette. I think the one name that I keep coming back to is Daryl Henderson, who's still out there, who's younger than those guys and would probably be a bit of an improvement on where they're at. But like what we saw from Tony Pollard last year, you referenced the opportunity share, Kev. Pollard did all that on 15 touches per game. Zeke was averaging 17 touches per game. To put that in perspective, Latavius Murray averaged more touches per game last year than Tony Pollard did. (laughs) (laughs) Pollard lived off efficiency. And it's clear that even if they brought back someone like Zeke, it's only going to be on a very minimal deal. And Pollard's going to see probably an extra five touches a game. We've heard the Cowboys talking about how they want to be more run heavy, you know, they got rid of Kellen Moore and brought in like archaic offensive coordinators. So, like, they gave 32.1 touches to their running backs last season between Pollard and Zeke. If you're telling me that Pollard can't get to 20 this year, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I, I think that Pollard is a screaming value right now. And I think that I'm saying that banking in on them adding somebody, whether that's, you know, Leonard Fournette or Cream Hunt or, or any of the other guys. That- that have been mentioned i don't see them coming in and getting more of a share of this backfield than zeke had last year so to me i think at a minimum i'm saying tony pollard is seeing the usage that he saw last year but i think this whole offense is going to take a step forward this year so i think that those you know he's going to get those high value touches zeke obviously basically had the the kind of red zone and goal to go situations on lockdown so 
if he's going to get touches in that area of the field, it's only going to boost his value. I think you look at the stats last year. So he produced as a as a running back two in over 60% of his games. But from week six onwards, he had one game outside the top 24 in, in running back points per game, which, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing that this guy was just week in, week out, a reliable starter, despite the reduced workload. Normally, we think about, you know, those type of players being boom-bust. But even though he wasn't getting that elite workload, he was still just plug-and-play reliable. And I think, you know, he's my running back eight at the moment. And I think that he's he's the kind of guy that can win you a league based on his value because, you know, worst-case scenario, he's the same player he was last year. If he's, he's an increase in touches he could absolutely outproduce his current value easily. Yeah, so Tom, at the start you mentioned about Pollard's efficiency and, and obviously on those limited touches, how efficient he has been. So is it crazy to say that maybe maybe we actually need somebody in that backfield with Pollard that can do a little bit like what Zeke did, but maybe not to the levels of, of a Zeke? You mentioned that, that Zeke obviously had the, the more touches. Do, do we think actually it'd be great to have somebody alongside Pollard that can soften up this defence and then allow Pollard to do what he's done throughout his, his career in the, in the NFL and, and taking advantage of these soft defences that have had to deal with somebody like Ezekiel Elliott running at him time after time again. And he can come on using that, that explosiveness that, it, that he's got and, and the efficiency that he has with the with the ball. Is it, is it right to say that maybe we actually want him to maybe get somebody? Because at the moment, like Kev mentioned, we've got Rojo and, and Juice Vaughn. Neither of those guys had, had class as a, a real grinder in, in the NFL. So, yeah, maybe is it a, potentially a good thing if we get somebody to, to come into this backfield, but maybe not quite to the level of somebody like a Dalvin Cook. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, last year we heard it when Zeke was injured, we heard the Cowboys position coaches talking about how they didn't really want to overuse Tony Pollard at yeah. times and that they knew the amount of touches that he was at his best on. And it feels like they're going to have to unleash him slightly more. But yeah, I mean, the, the days of, you know, running backs having huge every-down workloads are really pretty minimal these days. I mean, you know, you think back to like Le'Veon Bell when he was with the Steelers and he was just like barely ever came off the field. It just doesn't really exist. And, it, you know, and we can't hold that against running backs in the NFL in 2023. We just have to adjust for it and say, okay, but in terms of positional value, what does his role give us? And like... Like I said, say, say someone like Daryl Henderson or even Leonard Fournette or Zeke. I mean, Leonard Fournette and Zeke are washed. There's no problem. Like, if they turn up and take 10 touches a game, so what? Like, you know, it's like there's very few running backs out there right now where if they landed with the Cowboys, I'd even knock Pollard down by one spot in my best ball rankings. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. Rich, have you got anything else to add on that or...? Or should we move on? Because I know the next guy we're going to talk about is somebody you're probably <laughs> chomping at the bit to, to get talking about. But but anything else um, on, on that we mentioned with Pollard? No, I, I think, you know, he's not going to ever be a 25-touch-a-game kind of guy. You know, we don't want to see Tony Pollard carrying the ball, you know, between the 20s inside the tackles. That's, that's not where he's going to produce from a fantasy perspective. So, yeah, if they're going to add another body in which I think we're all banking on them doing, I think it's only going to help him and, and keep him fresh for the higher value touches of the goal to go situations and, and the targets. Yeah, love that. So uh, I've kept you waiting, Rich. So I'll, I'll move on to, to my question talking about, there's only really one wide receiver we can talk about to, to keep things off with the, the Cowboys, obviously CD Lamb, um, a guy that's come into the NFL, taking step forward year after year in terms of both on the field and, and for fantasy. as a wide receiver 22 as a rookie. Went up to wide receiver 19, and then last year had that that big year of being the wide receiver five, 17.7 fantasy points per game in, in that season. So, um, Rich, I'll, I'll obviously pass it to you first, as I know you, you love talking about CD Lamb. But in this offense, for some of the reasons we maybe spoke about, could they be going to more of a, a run-first kind of team and, and maybe going away from, from the passing game as much? But do you think CD Lamb can, can maybe still take another step forward? He's obviously ranked as a top three wide receiver in terms of, of his dynasty value. Is it right to have him think, there? Do you think he can hit that ceiling? I think saying another step forward is tough when, you know, he was wide receiver five last year. He's being valued as, a, you know, a top four guy by pretty much everyone. Mm. I think saying, you know, another step forward, we're basically saying he's going to outproduce Justin Jefferson because that's really <laughs> the only step he can go. So I don't think he's going to take another step forward, but I think he's going to establish himself as that wide receiver two, wide receiver three, absolutely. Um, you know, incredible year last year you look at 
the volume, you know, 156 targets, that was a 28% target share. Like that's, that's truly elite. But I think there's another step that could potentially come from him and, and from this offense. And I think that maybe Tom and I are, are reading different information if he thinks that the Cowboys are going to lean more, more run heavy. I'll be honest, I think they're going to pass more. You look at last year, they were 19th in pass attempts at 32.9. That's, you know, 12 pass attempts a game less than Tampa Bay, for example. I think we could see some more passing volume. And if CD Lamb keeps a similar target share, if he can be in that 25 pushing 30% target share, that's probably another 10, 15, maybe even 20 targets on the year. If he can get up to that 170 target range, there's no way that, you know, he could easily be pushing Jamar Chase Cooper Cup for that wide receiver two spot. So, yeah, I, I think he's an elite player. You know, we've seen him as that slot option that basically is a completely uncoverable. And I think that for me, he's he's deserves to be talked about in that second tier of wide receivers, whether that be redraft or, or dynasty. Yeah, I'm, Tom. I, I'm going to say I just I think it's possible for CD Lamb to add step forward, but I just I don't have any faith in Brian Schottenheimer as offensive coordinator. Like you know, he's somebody who leans heavily into play action, and you know. That's great. That's the kind of thing that we want for players like CD Lamb because it can give them time to open up their routes and stuff. But I just, you know, it didn't end particularly great for him with the Seahawks. And they ran the ball at about 52% off the first downs, which is slightly less than Dallas did last year. But I think as a whole, they're just going to be running the ball a lot more. I do agree that, you know, CD Lamb could make that jump if let's say the Cowboys defense regressed and suddenly the Cowboys were put in more shootouts, but on paper, it looks like they're going to be a really good defense again this year. Um, and yeah, I just kind of struggle with it. I think CD lamb for me has settled into this role as sort of like that kind of top 12 wide receiver round about that round area every year, but you just don't get those kind of consistently huge performances. Like you look back over his career and he's never had more than three top five weekly finishes per, and those top five weekly finishes are what really help you win weeks and what really, you know, just dominate opponents. So I'm completely happy having CD lamb on as many dynasty teams as possible, but I just, I'm not sure I see his value ever really increasing at the minute. But would you be happy to pay that? Like I said, on keep trade cut his wide receiver three. Would, would you happy to pay? Obviously, that's that we're talking about an elite wide receiver here. You got to pay top dollar to to get this guy. So, Tom, would you be happy to pay that kind of price to get him? I don't think so because I think when you start talking about those prices, it's kind of the equivalent haul to getting like you know QB ten or something like that in his trade straight up. So. Maybe if it was like a package deal where we've got players involved, and if I'm coming off a running back and able to, you know, say somebody like a Jonathan Taylor or Travis Etienne, and I'm able to put a bit of a pick on top to get to CD Lamb, I'd be fine with that. But just straight up, I don't think there's any way that I'd pay a price kind of higher than the equivalent of the 101. Yeah, I think if I can quickly jump in there, Matt, I, I kind of agree with Tom. And I think that there's this is where there's a difference between trades and startups in that I'm happy taking CD Lamb as wide receiver three, wide receiver four in a in a startup. But there's no way that I'm going out and trying to acquire CD Lamb in a trade. Because if I'm having to give up what you know his price is quite rightly worth, I'm I'm mortgaging so much to go and get that one player. And basically the only way I would ever send that much capital you know you're talking probably multiple firsts is for a quarterback and I don't think you know in a trade I'm ever spending that for any wide receiver probably not even like Justin Jefferson I don't think because the cost you've got to pay it just it just doesn't return value I think that's fair and, and with that we'll, we'll move on to the other wide receivers in this offense Ali will we'll go over to you yeah, so we'll see they brought over Brandon Cooks to, to add to their, their wide receiver room that's still got Michael Gallup in. Um, so just focus on, on Brandon Cooks to start with. How much of a role do you think Brandon Cooks will play in, in 2023? Um, and then just to follow up, is, is there any interest from you two in acquiring any of these two wide receivers on the cheap, especially if you think Dallas are going to pass more? Um, Brandon Cooks, we know he's been a wide receiver one multiple times before in his career. Has he still got enough juice for you where you think he's going to have a decent target share and are you interested in him on, on the cheap? Well, 
I think Brandon Cooks is somebody I look at as a positive touchdown regression candidate. I think he had two last year. And, you know, over the course of his career, he's averaged like over five per season. You know, going from um, the Texans, who really, you know, I think they threw only 20 passing touchdowns last season to the Cowboys, who threw 28 last season. It feels like Cook can kind of be like, Odell Beckham was for the Rams and somebody they can lean on in the red zone or use situationally. I think it is at that point in his career where you probably see in Cook's value start to decline a bit. You know, he is lowest yards per reception since his rookie year last year, shallowest ADAR, and he also had a negative receiving EPA. So you kind of bounce on a bit of a bounce back from that. <clears throat> but I think if you're acquiring Brandon Cooks, you have to be completely comfortable with the fact that you're probably never going to be able to move on from him and get anything worth back. I'm slightly more interested in Michael Gallup. I think, you know, this time last year, even with the ACL injury, everybody was talking about Michael Gallup. He'd signed the new contract. He was going to be the clear wide receiver to him at offense. And then we know that players can be slow to come back from ACL issues. So he never really got going. He only had 13 deep targets, which you look back over the first few years of his career, it was hovering around the 20 mark every season. It feels like now with Brandon Cooks playing close to the line of scrimmage, that Gallup can be that deep play threat again. And particularly if you're talking like dynasty best ball, I really like the idea of him for this season. Yeah, I, I love both of these guys for best ball. And I'm not touching them at all in any other format, because I think that if you'd have added had one of them i think i'd have loved it but i think just because there's the both of them there i don't think the target volume and the consistency is going to be there on a week-to-week basis i think from an nfl perspective this is a perfect one two three in terms of you've got michael gallup who is that you know one b x type receiver you've got cooks who can play the flank role which is where he's been at his best throughout his career and you've got your your elite target hog slot in in cd lamb that is a perfect one two three from an nfl perspective but from a fancy perspective i just don't know that you can bank on gallup or cooks week in week out and i think they're definitely going to have some good weeks they're definitely going to have you know if gallup can as tom said get some of those deep shots again if if cooks can be utilized in space they're going to have some really good weeks but for me i'm probably never going to feel comfortable plugging them in to a starting lineup because they could equally have you know one two target games and and just disappear so i think that from a best ball perspective they could be really interesting but from a selecting lineup perspective they're they're just a bit un unreliable i guess would be the word to describe can i quickly jump in because just sit on keep trade cut michael gallup's fallen to wide receiver 73 and he's got wow. almost exactly the same value as a guy that you love, Rich, in Tank Dell. So, straight <laughs> up, <laughs> which one are you taking in Dynasty? I'm taking Tank Dell, but I'm definitely taking both of those values. I mean, Tank Dell's my wide receiver 57, Michael Gallup's my nice. wide receiver 63. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot higher than consensus on both of those. I'm shocked <laughs> at that value. Yeah, I, I can't believe that Gallup's fallen to, to that range. To be honest, he's a guy that I've held a lot of hope for over over the years. We saw little flashes, didn't we, in, in the early part? I remember when when the Cowboys selected CD Lamb, my heart sunk <laughs> to the bottom of my body because yeah, I, I was hopeful that Gallup and that connection that we saw with with that Prescott could maybe materialise. And we had little glimpses of it, and we had that one decent season out of him, but. Um, yeah, it's been tough. And obviously, like you mentioned, I think last year coming off the, the ACL injury, I think we, we needed to maybe temper expectations. So I'm excited to see what we can we can see from Michael Gallup, especially for me, um, going into to next year. But as we mentioned at the top, I think CD Lamb's obviously the, the guy that we all want. But at the, the price point that he's at, I don't think I'm going to have too many shares um, at this moment in time unless I've already got them. But Michael Gallup, like you mentioned, Ali, at that price, I think um, he could definitely be worth somebody to, to target. And obviously having Tom on here talking best ball, I think, yeah, both of these guys are, are really interesting for, for best balls and potentially that cheap kind of stat with, with Dak Prescott if you don't get the other thing with, with, with C.D. Lambert. With that, Kev, we'll, we'll move on to the final position, obviously the tight end position. Um, and your question to the guys? Yeah, it's been a bit of a mess as tight end. Think back to <laughs> Jarwin back in the day, got a lot of hype and was nothing. Then Schultz has been someone that performed all right, but just you can't ever trade him away. I've never been able to trade him away, so I've got about 300 shares of him. <laughs> um, on the, on the Texans now, but 
it's <laughs> so funny. But yeah, it, the questions about the, the rookie tight end Luke Schoonmaker, um, shock real life selection for me in round two. Tight end five off the board in real life is going at 309 in rookie drafts. Um, I see a little bit of a faster, maybe not as great Cole Komet uh, talent wise. So just want to know Schoonmaker at that cost, is he someone you're interested in? Or. I'd for him to take a, a stab in the dark on two other guys on this team, Peyton Hendershot and um, Ferguson off of waivers. I want none of them. Um, <laughs> keep it nice and short. I think that, look, Schoonmaker's, he's not a great prospect. Um, you know, he, he's sort of around the 50th percentile in my tight end model. But also for me, I basically don't really want to touch tight ends that are under age 25 unless they're elite options. So tight ends outside the top eight in ADP, but under the age of 25, have got a 60% chance that they reduce in value. I think for me, everybody hypes and gets all excited about these young tight ends year in, year out, and they've got a greater than 50% chance that they're going to decline in value rather than increase, which is the complete opposite of every other position in Dynasty. So yeah, I'd much rather go and go and draft a, an unsexy, boring, you know, type that's that's got a chance to at least be productive because i think that you know there's four options potentially in dallas who knows who's going to be the guy it could end up being all four in some sort of rotation so i'm quite happy just not touching any of them yeah i'm right there with you i think you know occasionally i might take a shot in a best ball draft where i'm looking for a little bit of extra correlation with the cowboys or something but it's very easy to look back at what the Cowboys have done over recent years, targeting the tight end position. You know, they targeted them at the eighth highest rate last year. Schultz averaged like 87 targets a year over the last three years. But these players projecting that kind of talent and ability on them, whether it's Shoemaker, whether it's Ferguson, Pendershot, who knows? I think it's more likely that all of them probably aren't particularly great and particularly talking about the rookies and like I wrote an article for Underdog Fantasy recently talking about how poor tight ends are in their rookie season. And it was like literally 6% of them managed to score an average of eight PPR, half PPR points or more. So it's like the chances of him being fantasy relevant this season are just next to none. If you know, if you're taking a late round dart throw in your rookie draft, chuck them on the taxi squad, but that's probably where they're going to sit for the whole year. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and like Rich mentioned, as a prospect, I, I kind of value myself as somebody that likes to dig into into the rookie class when it gets close. I'll look at all the, the guys that maybe people aren't talking about. I do next to nothing about this guy when the Cowboys selected him. <laughs> Obviously, I recognize the name because he's got that name that, that stands out. But as a prospect, I think I looked at him briefly, thought this is just another another guy that's going into the NFL. So I was absolutely shocked when the Cowboys took him. And, and I think now, like you've, you've all mentioned, I think he falls into that bracket where it's pretty similar to the Titans mm-hmm. that the Cowboys have currently got. It's going to be one of them where you're going to take your chance on one of these guys and, and you've got a probably three out of one chance of getting it right. But the chances are none of these guys are really going to materialise too much. We saw flashes from from Ferguson last year, and I think if I was going to back anyone, maybe he's the guy that I think maybe next year could be could be the one out of the three that I think could maybe do the most. But yeah, as you said, from fantasy and especially in rookie drafts, I'm never targeting these kind of tight ends at that range because, like Tom mentioned, that the chances of them hitting early are are next to nothing. I'd rather take a shot on a guy like a, a running back that could maybe see an opportunity um, further down the line through injuries, and, and you get a little bit gain on value, but. Apart from that, yeah, not really somebody I'm, I'm super interested in. But with that, we've done enough talking about the Cowboys. It's time for the main event. We're, we're going to move over to, <laughs> to the New York Giants. Probably, in fact, they are the best team in, in this division. I'm obviously joking. I, even though I am a homer, I'm not that much of a, of a, a homer and a believer in the, in the Giants. So we're going to kick things off. And obviously, we've got to talk about Daniel Jones. He's, he's been the, the name for the Giants that everybody's been talking about going into, into the offseason, coming off such a great... 2022 year finished QB 10 in fantasy points per game. He's now finally got that big contract that he's he's been seeking. I can't believe that he's waited this long to finally put up these kind of numbers and, and make us pay the price and give him this this huge contract. And I think Brian Dayball coming over and, and what he's done is has obviously been key to, to the success uh, with Daniel Jones. But 
Do you think he can un- unlock a little bit more in, in Daniel Jones from what we saw last year? Can Dayball maybe unlock a little bit more? We've seen the, the weapons that they're adding now. I know that it's kind of a, a mix and match of, of weapons that the, the Giants have brought in this year. There's no real elite guy that stands out apart from maybe the Titan that we'll talk about a little later. But yeah, do you think Daniel Jones can maybe take another step forward? Can he be a consistent low-end QB1 like he was in, in 2022? Or can he maybe take that, that jump forward? I don't think he makes another jump forward. I think this is probably the kind of range. Maybe he goes slightly high, maybe he goes slightly lower. But you look at last season and he had 3,200 passing yards and 700 rushing yards. But he'd never had over 400 yards in a season before rushing yards, I'm talking about. So is that because of Brian Dayball and how they were using him? Or is that because he was having to throw to Richie James, uh, Isaiah Hodgins, and, you know, even Kenny Galladay was out there at times. <laughs> like, was that, you know, because of that situation or is that what we're going to see from Dable? I think, you know, you can still write Daniel Jones in for probably 500 rushing yards and stuff. But And we saw his completion rate jump from, like, 62% career average up to 67%, which is really encouraging but so many of them were really short passes to the slot and to Saquon Barkley. You know, Saquon Barkley had 76 targets. Richie James had, like, a ridiculous, like, 81% catch rate, which is, like, highest among wide receivers with 50 or more targets. So it wasn't like these were incredible throws that he was making the whole time. And I think if you've got Daniel Jones as your QB too, much like Dak, you're completely happy with that. You know, I mean, he averaged more points per game last year than Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, and Trevor Lawrence. But I just, I can't see what the Giants have done, which would let him step up to that next level. You mentioned they brought in Darren Waller, but it's not like uh, Jalen Hurts with AJ Brown or, you know, one of these situations where like the Dolphins went out and got Tyree killed. Darren Waller is a good player, but he's not, He's not like truly a difference maker completely in the way that like Tyree Kill or AJ Brown was. So I think we're just going to see Daniel Jones kind of sit around this range for the next couple of years, really. Yeah, I, I think you, you summed it up perfectly, Tom. I think he's basically discount back, isn't he? In that he's, you feel pretty bad if he's your QB1. You feel pretty good if he's your QB2. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that contract. I think from an NFL perspective, it was absolutely ludicrous the way the Giants played it, the amount they paid him, why they didn't go out and say, go and get somebody else to match it or, you know, go and find your, your market on the open uh, open market as such. It was stupid, but they've paid him. He's going nowhere for at least the next three years. And how many other quarterbacks can you say are guaranteed, a, you know, a starting spot for the next three years? It's basically Alan Mahomes, Hurts, Lamar, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence, Watson. That's it. Eight guys. So he's the ninth quarterback that I can basically say is guaranteed a starting spot for the next three years. That's That's got a hell of a lot of value in Superflex form. That's where you can, you know, hopefully he is your QB too, but you can basically bank on saying this guy's a reliable fantasy option for me for the next three years, which you can't do for a lot of guys in Dynasty, quite frankly. Yeah, and before we move on, Kev, I'll, I'll come over to you because I know Daniel Jones is a guy that you've kind of changed the tune on a little bit in in the recent in the recent years. So, yeah, where are you at with, with Daniel Jones in in Dynasty? Yeah, I think the contract's massive, as as Rich said. I think if if he was going to a different team outside of Dayball and that system, I'd do worry because as a passer, he's what he's he's had four years in the NFL. He's not shown much improvement there if anything I know we had um, Kate Fowler on who uh, on last year's stream who absolutely <laughs> griefed him um, and me <laughs> and, and well she griefed you as well yeah <laughs> nice lady though uh, she's, she's uh, very smart but um, yeah. but yeah I just think with Daniel Jones where he's at it at the market I'm pretty much there I do agree with it my, my big concern is why is he going behind Tua Tua's a guy that's had a number of concussions who could walk away at any point He's a lot better for fantasy than Tua. He's tied down for the next three years. I see Daniel Jones, the QB one this season. I see him performing, outperforming all the rookies apart from maybe Richardson. I feel that if he's a QB two, he's getting QB one numbers back end this season. So I've got no problem with him at market. The way I like to build from startups, I'm not getting much of Jones because I like to hit QB early as it seems to be the common trend in, in most startups I've seen this, this um, off season, but, I think if you can get him in, say, the fourth, 
you're going to be at an advantage against a lot of teams at QB2, which is which is great. So I think real life player is more of a system guy than um, appealing on the eye. But I think for fantasy, I'm still there on him at market, maybe just slightly ahead of Tua, who I don't hate. I do like Tua. Real life is amazing. He's better than Daniel Jones real life. But yeah, he's got a lot of risk in him. But personally, I think Jones is less risky than Tua. Yeah, I think Rich hit it earlier when he mentioned it about the contract. I think out of everything that we've seen from Daniel Jones in this past year, obviously he's, he's cleaned up the the struggles that he's had with the the fumbles and and everything. But I think the big thing for me in terms of his fantasy value that's really made him take that step forward is actually that contract getting him, like Rich mentioned, getting him locked in for three years. Now kind of makes me more into him in terms of fantasy because this was a guy that he could have been out of the NFL if he didn't do what he did last year. He could have been a, a backup quarterback for somebody else. I, I think I even mentioned it. Um, on last year's Dreamathon, that this is the make or break year. And if he doesn't perform, there's every chance. Yeah, exactly. He, mm-hmm. he could have been just that kind of guy that bounced around the league beyond beyond this point. So I think now that we've we know we've got that locked in at least potentially three years of him um as a starter in fantasy is, is probably what has been the biggest boost out of everything for Daniel Jones and, and his fantasy value. But with that we, we've got to move on to the next guy, another guy that I absolutely love with the with the Giants. And Ali over to you for your question. Yes, we'll talk about Saquon Barkley. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about him this off season. Is he gonna? Is he gonna sign um, the the tag to to play on with with the Giants? So it's a really just a really simple question, really. What are you doing in terms of dynasty with Saquon Barkley? His his value on keep trade cut is running back six. So are you buying him? Are you selling him? Or are you holding him and waiting to see what happens this off season? Can I sit on the fence and say all three? Uh, <laughs> I think that look, if, if you're looking at Saquon Barkley as a one-year rental, I think he's a, he's a good buy at that running back six value. I don't think you can bank on anything beyond that. I know there's been some talks that the Giants want to extend him and want to get him tied into that contract, but he's turning down 14 million a year. Mm. That's scary because I don't think he's going to get much more than that on the open market, um, which says to me that he's probably going to sign after this year whether it be a one-year prove it deal with the giants or or somebody else so yeah i i don't think i can go out and invest massively in him as a long-term asset for my dynasty team but i think from a 2023 perspective i think he's you know equally in that truly elite tier along with cmc Bijan, austin eckler for for 2023 so yeah I'm, i'm happy to go and buy him on an elite contender for probably a, a, a first, maybe a first and a second. But if I'm not, if I don't think I can win a title in 2023, then yeah, I'm absolutely selling. I think it's tricky with Saquon because like last year we saw like just unbelievably huge volume that he got, you know, in both receiving game and he set career highs and like rush attempts per game, 10 plus yard runs rushing yards as a whole and force missed tackles like he was just it was him back to his best in many ways but it's like try to progress project what the ceiling is for him this year and if that's going to be worth holding on to i think the only way i can get there and see him being a buy is if you really believe that the giants as a whole make a step up in total off uh, offensive touchdowns like last year they only had 40 as a whole and 10 of them with saquon so I'm kind of okay with it if you're all in on this season and you're willing to throw the dice in, but it's just generally not the kind of move I make in Dynasty. I would rather go out and acquire a top-end wide receiver rather than and you know just piece things together at running back because it's so much easier to do. I mean, last year it was easy to acquire Ramondre Stevenson for like a third-round pick at this point, and you know the year before you could get players like Damian Harris, and there's always those kind of guys where. I would rather take speculative shots on them at running back for a cheaper price and put my high-end resources into wide receivers instead. Yeah, no, I think you've absolutely nailed it. I think with me, obviously, you know, I'm, I've mentioned it a few times, I might be a Giants fan, but I absolutely love Saquon Barkley. And, and I say, I think talent-wise, I think he's right up there as being the best in, in the NFL. But now we've reached that point where in fantasy, we've got to really take a step back and actually look at what Saquon Barkley is 
at this moment in time. And we know he's had the, the unlucky side of things with the, the injuries. And as I mentioned, I think as a talent is up there, but he's now on a franchise tag, hopefully when it, when he signs his franchise tag. And what, is, what his situation looks like beyond this year is is anybody's guess. So for me, in terms of where he's currently ranked on on keep Trey Cut up there as, as RB6, I think he's right based on on talent. But for me personally, I'm, like Tom, you, like you mentioned, I think when I'm, when I'm spending... Um, a lot of equity on on a running back. The the main thing I'm targeting is is that bit of reassurance in longevity. So I, I've always got the younger running backs at the top, and then beyond that, that's when I start thinking. Well, you've mentioned guys like like Josh Jacobs, what he did last year. You can get these running backs for cheap that can give you the production that what maybe Saquon Barkley can give when not quite at 100. And and you've always got that risk with Saquon Barkley that is never going to truly hit the, the ceiling that I think is is potentially got. So for me, I, I struggled to value him too high in terms of of dynasty because I just do worry that the cliff could come at any point. I feel like I could get a replacement at a far cheaper value. Yeah, I'm not going to get the, the ceiling of what a Saquon Barkley's got, but I can get somebody that, that's an RB1 in, in fantasy for a much cheaper value. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one with Barkley because, you know, I absolutely love Saquon Barkley. But, Ali, before we, we, we quickly move on, I know you put your rankings out recently and you've got him in that, that second tier of running backs like I think a lot of people have, but... Do you think he can make a push forward, even though we are getting towards maybe the the latter stage of his career? Yeah, I mean, it, I think Tom hit the nail on the head. It depends on on the offense, really, if they increase their output in in touchdowns and efficiency altogether. Um, I think he is that really that I've got him as that last guy in tier two. Like he was very close to going into tier three, but I've just got him a shade ahead of um, Josh Jacobs. But he could very easily fall into that next tier. I think he's a guy that I would be looking to to sell this offseason into that tier below and pick up some some capital just because because of the risk. Um, but yeah, if he's a, I think he's an interesting guy because I don't think the asking price is, is really too expensive this offseason. It, obviously, it depends who you're buying from. But if you're a, an all-in a contender, um, I've seen people tout Josh Jacobs as, as really far too expensive. So um, Saquon Barkley is, is seen by a lot in that similar tier. And... Yeah, I would offer a, a first and a second for Barkley. I think he is attainable this offseason, but um, I'm mostly looking to try and sell him and just um, decrease the risk that I've got on him. Yeah, love it. Um, we've obviously spoke about a couple of veterans there. So, Kev, we're going to come over to you. Let's get on to some, some fresh meat now, some guys that we've not really spoke about too much and, and a rookie <laughs> coming into, into the NFL. Oh, before we get on to the fresh meat, though, I just want to say on Barkley, we're in a league as a five together, the Hatchetman League, and I, I made an all-in move last <laughs> season, which uh, it ended up being... The wrong move because I got smoked by Tom in the final. Um, but but yeah, I'll, I'll be stuck with him in that league because it's full of sharps. So yeah, it, it'll be a, a try, try to sell, but hold. I can't wait to have that trophy just sitting here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love that. But yeah, we'll quickly move on. Um, Jalen Hyatt, rookie wide receiver. Um, my pre draft comp was. A guy that I think we we all sort of hate and love a little bit in Will Fuller. Um, just a deep guy, horrible reception perception. I know Hannah mentioned a, a green Christmas tree for Jahan Dotson. It's a, a red one for Hyatt with a little green uh, star on top, I guess. But I think better real-life player, boom bust. Obvious big negative is round three draft capital, which ties into an already risky profile. He's valued in a similar range to a fellow boom buster in a guy like Gabe Davis. So I just want to know, like, if you had Gabe Davis on your dynasty roster, would you be happy to re-roll on a Jalen Hyatt, or is he just not that good? I, I think it was probably getting a little too close to the Bills, but I think Gabe Davis is being severely undervalued this offseason. We know that he had an ankle injury for much of last year. We've seen players sort of, like, struggle through them. And I think Gabe Davis could definitely be in for a bounce back. So he's somebody that I'm quite okay paying a cheap pick for at the minute <clears throat> in terms of Hyatt he's somebody I picked up in a couple of rookie drafts and I don't mind having I mean he's not somebody that I imagine that I'll be looking to start anytime soon it's very much taking that kind of wait and see approach for me I probably got slightly more exposure to him in best ball where he's being drafted as the wide receiver one on the team but He's going between like picks 140 and 160. So you can kind of, it's quite palatable, particularly if you've got Daniel Jones. But yeah, it's, this wide receiver room, it's just not particularly inspiring. Yeah, I, I think for me, I said it in my rookie guide, Hyatt's one of the hardest um, kind of pieces of analysis I think I've had to do in that 
that Tennessee offense is not a real offense. It's a bit of a joke. He was incredible, but he basically got a free release every play from the slot and just ran past people. And it's like, okay, that, that doesn't translate to the NFL. So, yeah, there's definitely some elite traits. I think he's probably one of the best trackers of the ball downfield that I've seen in the last kind of three or four years. He's got elite speed. That could absolutely be a, you know, a usable fantasy option. The scary thing for me is that I want to see him as a speed slot where he can stretch the field and, and run down those seams. The Giants seem to want to try and pigeonhole him to, as an outside receiver because they've gone and signed about 10 slot receivers. So, yeah, if he's going to be used outside as like that, that flanker that gets the free release, maybe. But if they're going to try and pigeonhole him into some sort of X role where he's going to get pressed and stuff like that, then I think he's going to have a real, real tough time. I think he's, an, he's, he's kind of an average prospect. I've picked up quite a lot of him at the back end of second, early third round in rookie drafts. At that point, I'm, I'm happy to take the punt. I think he's, to me, I throw him in a similar bucket as Kadarius Tony when he came out. Now, Kadarius Tony got massively overdrafted because he got that first round capital. But, you know, as you said, poor reception perception, weird usage in offense in college, but has an elite trait that could translate to the NFL. So I think if the Giants use him correctly and can use him as that speed slot and get him those free releases, he could absolutely be a, you know, boom bust, but a usable fantasy option. But I agree with Tom, I'm taking Gabe Davis over him every day of the week because I think that Gabe Davis, the hate's gone too far. I think, yeah, he's, he's going to be in boom bust, but I think he's going to have a better year this year than he did last year. Yeah, and, and I think like we mentioned when we're talking about Daniel Jones, we're comparing the two offences, the Giants compared to to the Bills. I think I'd rather take a shot on a guy like Davis in that offence and, and tie to Josh Allen and maybe someone like a Daniel Jones that isn't the most prolific, prolific of throws of the ball. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's funny as well with Jalen Hiley. He was kind of getting that buzz, weren't he, that he was maybe going to sneak into into the first round of the NFL draft. And then you go on Twitter and you see the, the Giants' war room and they're talking about, oh, we might target him here in the second round. There's a couple of guys we like. And then everyone's seen that as a positive that they managed to get him in, in the third round. But it's kind of like, well, they weren't willing to pull the trigger on the second round. That makes me think that maybe they don't they don't believe in him as much as what you, you're led to believe with the fact that they were maybe looking at him in the, in the second round. So yeah, I think he's really interesting. Kev, I know that you you I think you were pretty high on him, weren't you, as a as a prospect before the the NFL draft? So what's your feelings on him landing with the the Giants? Is that is it a, as a positive? I know that the draft capital is maybe not what you expected, but what about just pure landing spot? What do you think? I think it's more the draft capital that's that's the issue for me. Like previous years, everyone's take punts on round two guys, round three guys, and then um, Scott Connor came from the top rope on me and said, "If you're outside <laughs> the top forty, you've basically got no chance." So, I think combining that with um, an iffy QB as a passer in, in Daniel Jones, I think it's 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 tempered expectations. I, I don't think I have much of higher if 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 any at cost. Um, I'd probably actually just keeping it on sort of the Giants and Cowboys sort of this topic. I'd, I'd probably rather have a guy like a Brandon Cooks or a Gallup in there, someone that, yeah, they are older. You're not going to get as much. And Hyatt is a lottery ticket, but I just think as, as your wide receiver seven for this season, I'd, I'd rather just hope on the weeks that they're in your lineup in bye weeks that um, CD Lamb goes down in the first minute and they take it off. Just kidding. Just kidding. We don't want injuries. That's a joke. <laughs> right, so we've spoke about the the one maybe shining light in this Giants wide receiver corps, but there's quite a few other names to mention. It's kind of like a, a game of guess who, and, and I think if the question was, are you a slot wide receiver? There's not many of them cards that are dropping is in, in a game of, of guess who. We, we're basically talking every slot wide receiver that's that's been a bit part in the, in the NFL, and we've, we've combined them all into, into this Giants offense. But there's a, a lot of names to, to mention, a lot of guys that, as I said, have have shown flashes through, throughout their careers. So we've got Paris Campbell, Isaiah Hodgins last year, who, who looks really good when he came over. Darius Slayton, who's had his moments. Wondell Robinson, a guy that we're, we're selecting in the second round, looked okay and then obviously suffered that, that injury. So my question is, with this mixed match of, of wide receivers, is there anybody out of those names that I mentioned that you'd be happy to take a shot on later on in, in your drafts that can potentially take a step forward and maybe be the, the wide receiver one in this offense moving forward? I think the true answer is none of the above. Um, I think that I've got there's some interesting Wondell Robinson. You've just got to bank on there's you know competent draft capital, showed some flashes last year. This regime brought him in. You'd like to think that he'd have the you know the the edge at, at that mm -hmm. starting slot role. 
And if he does, he could potentially be target heavy. You know, he's never going to get high value touches, but he's going to get a decent volume of touches. But the one guy at cost I'm probably most interested in is, you know, you talked about guess who knocking guys down. The one guy that isn't a slot receiver is Darius Slayton. And, you know, that, that's, that wasn't a small contract that they signed him to. Two years, 12 million. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely on the roster this year. They'd end up costing them more money if they released him. He's the only guy in the entire offense that profiles as an outright side receiver. So we're probably going to project him to like a 70, 80% snap share. That that has value. That has some interest. I think he's going to be a boom bust type because he's going to be the ex downfield receiver. But at cost, yeah, there, there's some interest in Slayton. But he's, he's, I'm not getting too excited. Like I'm, I'm talking, I'd happily throw like a third or a fourth at him. I'm not probably spending up anything more than that. I, I definitely agree on Slayton. I think that you know he had five games last year over 13 PPR points, which put him as like top 24 wide receiver on the week. Those are good usable weeks. I think the slot players all kind of scare me. I think it's too tricky trying to decipher what we're going to do between Wondell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, still there. But I quite like Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, we talk about all these players who are playing slots, and although he doesn't profile as a true outside receiver like Darius Slayton, he only played in the slot on 30% of his tar- um, snaps, and he had the highest QBR rating when targeted of any Giants receiver last year. It seemed like he did have a really good connection with Daniel Jones. And I don't even know what the price would be. I mean, you know, I think if you sent somebody with 312 for Isaiah Hodgins, they'd probably quite happily snap your hands off for him. I feel like he's the kind of player who in shallower leagues could end up on waivers easily. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Tom, obviously, being the, the best ball guy that you are, which is, is, is he the one that you'd target more in best ball? Obviously, we mentioned Darius Slayton. I think he, for me, is somebody that in my, my best ball dress that I've done recently is maybe the, the one Giants wide receiver that I would target, like we mentioned with the fact that he is that, that outside wide receiver that can have those those boom weeks. Is he more of the, the guy that you're targeting rather than the, the, the slot guys in terms of best ball? Yeah, very much so, because by the time that you're drafting any of these players in best ball, so... None of the wide receivers go before pick 140. I mean, it's higher. Wondale Robinson is going as the wide receiver two in some formats. Ben Hodgins and then Darius Slayton is being drafted as the wide receiver four on this Giants team, going pretty much around picks like 200, 215. So you can really wait and use like your 18th, 19th, 20th round pick on him, which if you've picked up Daniel Jones as your QB or if you're looking for a bit of week 17 correlation or something like that, for a player like Daniel, uh, Darius Slayton, who can give you those big boom weeks, you know, we've seen him have those big plays where, you know, he gets involved with designed runs or, you know, deep shots, then, yeah, I'm completely fine with that. I mean, you look back last year, and I think he had some, like, uh, how many games? He had eight games where he had over 60 yards. That's that's fine for a player that you're talking about paying absolutely nothing for in best ball. Absolutely. And Kev Ali, have you got anything else to, to add to this? Like I say, it's a bit of a, a guessing game. So let's get as many as many heads on this as possible and see if we can pick somebody out of this bunch that could maybe do something for us in, in Dynasty moving forward. Um, well, the, the sad thing is, is <laughs> Paris Campbell was, has been a guy that I've just <laughs> loved, loved over the years as a, as a cheap guy that's obviously with his pace. Um, I thought that he could be a, a late guy to target, but landing on this is just, um, it's not great whatsoever. So um, I'm probably with them guys. I'm probably, Isaiah Hodgins is, is really interesting. I thought he looked quite decent on the field last year. Um, and then Darius Slayton for the price and the fact that he has been re-signed. I think he's going as wide receiver 90, I think, on Keep Trade Cup. So um, yeah, an interesting guy, certainly in a different position to the others. So probably, probably target Slayton. I mean, that just leaves Wandale, doesn't it, really, as the guess who winner, so I'll, I'll go for him. Um, now, I'm probably going to say Paris Campbell just because of that take-off, but um, yeah, he's, 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 you're absolutely right. It's a game of guess who. I think Wandale, um, he flashed a really little bit before he got injured. He was taken by this regime as well in their first draft, so you, you can you can tell a story for any one of these four guys, but it's, it's maybe not. Maybe it's a fictional story. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and with that, we, we might as well move on because somehow we've managed to drag out 10 minutes of talking about guys like Paris Campbell, <laughs> Hodgins. We, I think we, we, we should commend ourselves for, for being able to, to hold a conversation with those guys. But there's, there's another name that's been added to, to this Giants roster this offseason. I think this is one of the, the really interesting guys to talk about, obviously, at the tight end position. So, Ali, we'll go over to you. Yeah, perhaps this is the answer of, of guess who. It's, <laughs> it's Darren, Darren Waller, obviously joined from the Raiders in the offseason. So just a really interesting couple of questions is, can we see a resurgence from, from Darren Waller for you you guys? Obviously, a couple of years removed from two really good seasons, 2019 and 2020, he was tight end two and tight end three. So can he get in that region of around top five? Um, are you, and then again, are you buying or selling Waller this offseason, obviously with the, the little rise in value that he's, he's seen? I absolutely believe he can be a top five tight end again this year. I mean, I think his value is a little tricky because it's so obvious that he needs to be the main passing weapon with the Giants right now. And Generally speaking, I think he's going to cost you a bit more than most people would be willing to pay because he is coming off that kind of down season. But even in a down season last year, you know, he averaged over five targets per game with Derek Carr. And I think it's hard to find tight ends who are that involved. You know, the Giants, they targeted the tight ends at the lowest team of any league last, uh, lowest of any team in the league last year. But that was because it was Daniel Bellinger, who like broke his eye socket and Tanner Hudson, there wasn't really anything you could do. It feels like, you know, it's all set up for Darren Waller because he can play outside and he can play downfield. I just, I'm not too sure what the ceiling is, I think like fringe top five is absolutely where I'd feel like, you know, if I was projecting it now easily, uh, you're talking Kelsey, Andrews, Kyle Pitts, and then probably Dallas Goddard I'd put there. And then he would, Darren Waller, I'd be comfortable saying is my Titan five this season, but I could easily see it go off a cliff edge as well. Yeah. I, I struggle with Waller because, uh, I don't like young tight ends, basically, and I'm happy to go and pay for for kind of older veterans. But I think with Waller, it's, you're probably looking at one year at best. Now, I know that the Giants sent serious capital. You know, they sent a, a top 100 pick to go and get him. But he can be released at the end of the year from his contract. And I just don't know if he's going to produce enough for them to want to pay him 13, 14, 16 million over the next three years. So... I do wonder if it's a one-year wonder and you're not going to get that resale value from him. So, yeah, I, I'm a bit lower. He's kind of like my tight end eight, tight end nine in redraft. So if you're looking for a, an average tight end and not having to pay up to go and get it, you know, if you can get him for a late second, then yeah, I'd probably do that. But I don't know if you're able to go and acquire him at that cost. I think it's interesting you took tom talked about him being used more down the field you know 40 percent of his targets in 2021 were greater than 10 yards down the field and that's something that quite frankly outside of Hyatt and slater nobody else in this in this chance offense is able to go downfield so i think there's a role i think there's a world that he's fantasy relevant i don't think he's an elite tight end anymore i can't see a world where he's going to be in that top five bracket so yeah i'm, I'm happy to go and get him as a late tight end one if the cost is cheap but i'm certainly not paying up to go and go yeah i think he's obviously fallen into that that role anyway he's in a situation now where we, we think it's all looking great for him we've mentioned all the the wide receivers that we're not really high on foot for fantasy so darren wall is kind of the last man standing and the fact that he can be used as a, a bit of a downfield threat as well as obviously being the the traditional tight end means that we are going to buy into this and and hopefully what it can be but i think we, we've got that glimmer of hope for obviously what we saw from bellinger last year when he was healthy he actually looked pretty good as a, as a rookie coming in. So I feel like having Darren Waller is obviously a step up from that. And and I'm really interested to see how he, how he develops moving forward. But obviously we do know he's a bit of an older guy in, in terms of, of the NFL. So yeah, definitely somebody that's, that's really interesting moving into next year. So with that, we've we've smashed my New York Giants, ripping them to, to shreds. We've basically decided we like Saquon Barkley and that's that's just about it really in terms of fantasy. But thank you guys for, for coming on. It's obviously been a, a pleasure. We're, we're all huge fans of, of what you do over with the fantasy sanctuary putting that together and, and both as well as individuals and what you're doing in in the space so thank you for for coming on anything you want to say before we, we let you jump off no thanks for having us on you know big believer in what you guys are doing today uh hopefully you'll smash that target um 
check out Fantasy Sanctuary on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button over there. We've got lots of big stuff coming down the line. We've got a uh, best ball draft with Pat Crane on Wednesday this week. Uh, I know Rich is just churning out the content as well. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having us. Love, love, as I said at the beginning, love this every year and what you guys do is fantastic. So fingers crossed you can uh, tick up towards that target as we continue talking. But yeah, go subscribe to Sanctuary. We've got Devi Week coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, Ooh, and yeah, some, some interesting drafts and things. So go and subscribe and uh, we've got plenty of stuff coming. Yeah, huge fans. As I say, we're, we're, we're big followers of what you do and what you're doing over on, on YouTube with the Fans Sanctuary is, is incredible. So keep up uh, the great work and thanks again for, for coming on and we'll, we'll speak again soon. Cheers, guys. Take Cheers, care. guys. Cheers. And yeah, I'll, I'll just add to, to what the guy said. A huge thank you to anyone that, that has donated and, and thank you. We, I think we're still at that 51%, but hopefully jumping up a little bit. I've seen a, a few notifications come up that we're, we're still getting some donations in. So, so thank you. If you do want to donate, you've got up until the end of June to, to do so. So there's no real rush, but it will be great to, to hit that target as soon as possible. You can find that over at Fantasy Wildcard on, on Twitter and you can search there for, for the stream from Lincoln and they're just giving link as well. So thank you for, for supporting Minder Chariot that obviously we're, we're really passionate about. When you have the wild card, you have the power to change the game.